different aspects of the flu flu viruses, we have some degree of immunity towards because we've been exposed to it. This coronavirus, and it's why they call it the novel coronavirus, is that we don't have any innate immunity to this. We've never been exposed to this before. We have no memory in our immune system to this. And, you know, this is why we're looking at 30 to 40% of the population that are going to be infected with this. Now, that's huge. You just don't, you don't see that volume with the flu. And you also don't see, you know, 10 times the mortality rate that we see with this versus the flu. I mean, this is, a, this is an impactful virus. There, I will question anybody that tries to downplay this virus um, because it is, it is truly a different animal, cannot be compared to, to the flu in, in any sense. Welcome to Collective Insights. At Neurohacker Collective, we're committed to compiling some important information about the new coronavirus to help protect your health and help stop the spread of COVID-19. Today, we have with us Dr. Dan Stickler, our medical director at Neurohacker Collective and co-founder of the Apiron Center for Human Potential and the Apiron Academy. He is going to share immune system protocols that are most likely to be effective in the current pandemic based on the current science and a complex system science model of thinking. For the full show notes on this episode, go to neurohacker.com podcast. Stay tuned to gain the latest insights on coronavirus and how we can manage its impact. Let's jump right in. Here's Dr. Heather Sanderson and Dr. Dan Stickler. Welcome to Collective Insights. I'm joined today by Dr. Daniel Stickler, and we've got some big stuff to cover. The world is not the same place that it was even just a week ago. So Dr. Stickler, what are you telling your patients? <laughs> well, the first thing I'm telling them is, you know, this is not this is not the apocalypse. This is not the world ending. This is this is a speed bump in life right now. And it's probably not the first one we're going to encounter. We're, we're going to be facing stressors like this. Um, they, they happen randomly. It's not something we generally can predict. So really the best thing that, that people can really do is to focus on maintaining good quality health right now and not wait until an event like this and say, oh, I really need to focus on, on keeping myself healthy. So what are the big components of keeping ourselves healthy right now? We have discussed um, some lifestyle and mindset things that are pretty foundational and free and things that you can do from quarantine. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I was joking with somebody and I said, if you want to make some money, invest in like preconception stuff right now, because uh, in nine months, we're going to see a lot of babies coming out. <laughs> so that's one thing you could do. You could have a lot of sex right now. That's right. And, uh, you know, that's a good stress reliever in and of itself. But, you know, the, when we think about stress in the immune system, the stress is a huge impactor. And right now, we're not only dealing with the stress of the, the economy, the stress that, that's being induced by fear on the social media, but even a change in routine creates stress in the body. And this can be even a vacation. We think of vacations as as really uh, calming and good for the stress, but they're they're really not because they change our routine and that creates a stress response in the body. This right now is is the perfect storm 
to really upregulate the stress system of the body. And when the stress system gets upregulated, the immune system gets compromised. And this is why it's so important right now to pay attention to those, those simple lifestyle factors that can create a more thriving state and, and really upregulate the immune system and keep us in that kind of anti-fragile mode. Right. There've been, there was a friend of mine I was talking to and she was staying up really late reading the news and then sleeping in really late in the morning, really thrown off of her schedule. Um, you know, not taking care of herself, maybe some of the ways that we should be right now, especially if there's the potential that we could come down with a virus, whether it kills us or not. Right. Like, uh, there, do you have statistics? What are you hearing about mortality rates? It's such a huge question right now. Um, who do you think is really at risk with based on the information that you have right now, knowing that none of us know for sure? Right. I mean, a great deal of it is speculation just because, one, we don't know how many people have actually been infected because people will get the, the virus and, and have mild symptoms and progress through their, their day and not even pay attention to it. And there's also asymptomatic carriers. But, you know, they're, of the diagnosed cases, they're looking at about a 25 to 3% mortality. And that sounds pretty scary. And it, and it is. I mean, you know, when we look at flu mortalities that are, you know, around 0.1%, this is pretty significant. And you're also talking about 30 to 40% of the population that they're predicting will uh, be exposed and, and and contract this, but we don't know about those those unreported cases. So the best guess right now is that there, if you're under 50, you've got about a 0.2% chance of mortality with this. And that, you know, it doesn't seem like a lot, but it's still significant relative to like the influenza or something along those lines. Now, when you get into the older age groups, and even in the healthy older age groups, you're still going to increase that risk of mortality. And this is this is the important point. So people will say, well, you know, I'm under 50. I, I've only got a 0.2% chance. So it's no big deal. I don't have to disrupt my life to do this. But my argument there is we need to think as a community. We're, think of altruism here. I mean, you taking those risks and going out and spreading this further is going to put those people that are in older age groups in a compromised state, people that have chronic health problems, heart disease, lung disease, diabetes, they are the ones that are going to be in trouble. And so this gives us a great opportunity to really exercise community altruistic behavior. And I just, I don't like seeing some of the comments online about how it's not a big deal. This is a big deal. And it's a, it may not be a big deal to you, but it's a big deal to other people in the community. So I think it's very important that we pay attention to the recommendations of the uh, public distancing and, and social isolations. Yeah. And so back to social isolation and keeping our, our stress levels down because of how much that impacts our, our immune system. So sleeping, getting plenty of sleep, but probably keeping your rhythm as consistent with what it was previously so that it's not too stressful on your body. And then um, other coping skills that you're suggesting for people at home? Uh, well, basic lifestyle components. So you know, your sleep, really important. It's really important to get good sleep right now. And, and if you do get the infection, you know, sleep is even more important. It's something that you want to, to really focus on and maintain good sleeping habits. Don't be staying up late watching Netflix. You know, get to bed at a, at a good hour. 
um, you need to think about nutrition. And this is kind of hard right now. Uh, we're running into this because the uh, the food stores here in Austin are having very low volumes of um, of food that's healthy. <laughs> I should say. Um, you know, I go to the store and all the fresh vegetables and fruits, they're, they're just gone. And um, you you tend to have to go for the more frozen foods that are sustainable. And uh, so nutrition is also being thrown off. And this, again, creates stress in the system. So you try to keep the nutrition as stable as, as you can with your what you've been eating regularly. Then we've got things like exercise. And I don't recommend any of my clients go to the gym right now. And, and this is important to understand. People will say, well, you know, it's, it's, it's a virus and you will just wipe things down. But what is different with coronavirus than the flu? I mean, the flu can, can sit on non-porous objects for about 24 hours outside the body before it becomes unviable. And right now, we just don't know enough about this coronavirus. And the, the estimates right now, based on some preliminary studies, is it stays viable for three to eight days on surfaces. And this is really important. I mean, if you're pressing elevator buttons, uh, if you're grabbing door handles, if you are grabbing gym equipment, uh, all of this stuff, I mean, people are bringing this stuff and passing it around so easily because it, it can persist so long outside the body. So, you know, it's really important to maintain proper hygiene through, throughout this, um, this whole course of, uh, of this viral uh, upswing. And going to the gym is it's it's hard for people like me because you know I like going to the gym and and it's a stress reliever and suddenly I can't do that, so we've actually been been talking to our clients about some um, exercises they can do at home to maintain their their current fitness level. A lot of body weight exercises can be done. Uh, I was fortunate enough that we recently got an X3 bar, so I've got something that I can add some uh, some decent resistance to it. So if you have bands or a Pilates system, anything like that, that can keep you focused. And what about going outside? So I think this is more of a gray area and there's a lot of questions around this, but I, well, personally, I'm going outside for a run or down to the beach for a walk, hiking. As long as you're not in contact with other people, um, I think a little dose of sunshine and fresh air is probably also very good for your immune system. You know, I agree completely on that. Um, I live right along the, the river in Austin and and it's funny because there's not many people out. Um, I can go out for a run or a walk and, and don't encounter many people. And that's, that's the key is you don't want to be somewhere where you're going to encounter a group of people. And when you do go out, you know, just don't, don't touch stuff. Just go out, come back in, make sure you wash your hands really well, wash your face. And, um, and then, you know, just go about your life. Uh, isolation doesn't mean that you have to hole up inside your apartment or your home. You can get outside and still enjoy those aspects of life. You don't have to lock yourself in a closet somewhere and, and think that that's the way to do this. Just outside, but not congregating outside. Correct. Yeah. And so um, another big question that I think is weighing, certainly on the epidemiologist's minds these days, is can you be reinfected? Have you seen any good data in the last couple of days about whether or not, I know there were some reports out of China saying people who had had COVID-19 were testing positive again. And we don't really know, is that the, some 
you know, fault in the testing? Is the testing not that reliable or is that actually happening? Right. Cause one of the thoughts is, well, why don't I just get it this year? And then I won't get it next year. I won't get it, you know, as it mutates and becomes worse. Or, you know, there's kind of these ideas that viruses typically after you get them, you have and um, you're immune to them. Is that true with this? And do we know yet? Uh, we don't know, but we suspect that reinfection is not a major issue. Uh, I've seen a lot of controversy on this one, though, so don't don't quote me on it. But there was a recent study that um, that looked at the coronavirus in rhesus monkeys, and they said that reinfection was not possible. But that's not a human study. Uh, we also know that for some reason, I saw one study that said we shed the coronavirus in stool up to 20 days after being infected. So, you know, we don't know certainty on this. I think most of the reinfections that were occurring were not actual reinfections of the virus. I think they're probably secondary infections because it's, a, it's an interesting virus. It attacks the type 2 pneumocytes in the lungs that, that produce a substance called surfactant that helps to keep our our little air sacs open in the lungs. It creates surface tension. And when we don't have that, the areas of the lungs collapse. And when they collapse, they're a ripe breeding ground for, for any other organism. And we see a lot of issues with uh, what they suspect are reinfections in, in hospital workers. But I also suspect that it's probably more of secondary infections from bacteria that, I mean, hospitals have the worst bacteria around and and they're highly uh, virulent so having areas of lungs that are that are not expanding I mean you, you just got ripe territory for that so again going back to it I don't think we have an answer on reinfection my personal suspicion is that I don't think reinfection is is common can it happen it, yeah sure it could but I don't think it's likely and so with these hospital workers, um, do you have any advice for them? Any, any healthcare provider advice? Uh, yeah, don't get the virus. Um, you know, they're having, they were thinking that the N95 masks and, and goggles were sufficient, but now they're finding data to, to suggest that they need full hazmat suits for this stuff, uh, which we just don't have the volume of hazmat suits to, to help this. And what's happening is we're taking out the healthcare workers, and, and this is the problem with overwhelming the healthcare system, getting the healthcare workers that get infected, and then a lot of these countries are doing a, a one strike, you're out. So a healthcare worker gets it, they're not allowed back into the healthcare system at that point. That's a real problem because they're, they're concerned that because of the impact of the virus, they're prone to either get what's called the reinfection, I guess, or uh, some super infection that's occurring from some other bacteria because their lungs are scarred a little bit. And so, you know, I know the, the policy in some of the countries is that if a healthcare worker gets it, they're out of the, the game. And that is going to put a major strain on the healthcare system. I mean, you know, th this whole virus, we were, we were past the point of containment in early January. I mean, that was never on the table beyond that point. And what we were looking at is how do we mitigate this thing to reduce that, 
that impact on the healthcare system. So it's not overwhelmed from this sudden wave of everybody needing ventilators. I mean, in Italy, they're already taking anybody over 80 and saying, you know, go home and die. That's basically what they're, what they're doing. They're having a triage for, um, for higher risk patients. And, and that's not good. So I've seen a little bit of um, pushback on that. Did you, what is your source for that? Right. Cause, um, uh, yeah. Yeah. And again, a lot of this stuff that I'm sharing is not a, not ideal. I don't think anybody has the ideal answers right now right. Uh, or the, the right responses. But I did have a, a friend who is a uh, physician in Italy and he suggested that he was telling me that they, they were having to set up cots and try to string multiple ventilators together just to support the the people that they were working with. And so that was a direct source I had, and he, he was pretty reliable. Yeah. You know, that's certainly something that I personally have experienced is that on one end, there are people saying they're going to, that martial law is going to be declared tomorrow. And then on the other hand, I have a friend who's an urgent care doctor who's like, this really isn't that different from the flu. I'm glad everybody is really washing their hands. And so it's, oh, I, I definitely would not compare it to the flu. Uh, you yeah. know, this, can, this can we go through that, that step by step? Just like what makes it different from the flu? Start with symptoms. What symptoms would well, you expect with this versus the flu? Well, one of the things is symptoms start off fairly mild. Um, you know, people will complain of body aches, uh, maybe a sore throat, I think about 70 to 80% of people will have a fever with it. And sometimes that's all you get. You get that, maybe a little bit of a dry cough, and then you're done. But here's the difference. I mean, the flu, we all have some degree of resistance to the flu. I mean, different aspects of the flu flu viruses, we have some degree of immunity towards because we've been exposed to it. This coronavirus, and it's why they call it the novel coronavirus, is that we don't have any innate immunity to this. We've never been exposed to this before. We have no memory in our immune system to this. And, you know, this is why we're looking at 30 to 40% of the population that are going to be infected with this. Now that's huge. You just don't, you don't see that volume with the flu. And you also don't see, you know, 10 times the mortality rate that we see with this versus the flu. I mean, this is, this is an impactful virus. They're, I will question anybody that tries to downplay this virus uh, because it is it is truly a different animal, cannot be compared to, to the flu in, in any sense. And one of the things that this virus is exposing is sort of like how we get our information and how we figure out what's true. So <laughs> you're getting some of your information directly from doctors in Italy. That seems like a, yeah. a pretty good spot to be getting it right now, right? They're about 10 to right. 12 days ahead of us. Um, where else are you getting information about this virus? I have, I have some contacts, um, in, in the government that have been giving me updates. In fact, one of them uh, today was telling me that a lot of the information we're getting is coming from, uh, it's misinformation being fed by other countries. Uh, there, there is a, definitely a, um, an opportunity that some of these countries are leveraging to really incite the fear. I mean, even the, you know, the John Hopkins, um, coronavirus site, which I've been following since early January, there are 
fake sites that look identical to that that hackers are using. There is, you know, this martial law thing was was something that they um, that was really infused into our social media by foreign hackers and so it's hard you can't tell right now you can't tell what's legit i mean even the stuff that comes out that's fake they make it look so real that you you don't know what is truly happening and i think just kind of listening to to the cdc and the government and and kind of understanding their point. I mean, they have no agenda behind this that's, that's designed to, uh, to hide anything from us. It's really, you know, just stay calm with it. Uh, I would suggest not looking at social media, uh, trying to focus on the, the reports that are coming from, from reputable places in the news, you know, the, the White House reports, they they're trying to keep this as sane as possible and and there's so much stuff out there that they're tr it's trying to put people into this this fear-based um state and it's, it's just driving me crazy so stay calm stay home yes practice your meditation exercise good nutrition good sleep habits good sleep hygiene um there's also a piece of you were talking about how it affects the lungs um one of the things that i've heard is about it, it being basically something that you aspirate at night so it can start to accumulate in your nasal pharynx so in your the mucosa of your nose and your throat and then the way it takes hold is by getting into your lungs and that happens when you're sleeping at night so like the kind of what not to do is like have a beer or have a couple coronas <laughs> Um, yeah. right before bed and then have basically there's a higher chance that you're going to aspirate some of that viral shedding or um to like um excuse me the other thing that had come up was whether or not to take NSAIDs um in particular aspirin and aspirin and ibuprofen so do you have any thoughts on those things about how it's infecting the lungs and some of the things that we can do to prevent that yeah i mean alcohol like you said um not only is there a problem for the for the aspiration aspect of it, but it will tank your your heart rate variability and and thus create more stress in the system. So I don't recommend uh, any alcohol consumption during this time, and that's hard to do when you're when you're in isolation. I think for a lot of people, um, the the word on the the non steroidals is seems pretty legitimate across the board. Um, there there are several several reputable sources reporting that one of the commonalities of the younger population that end up on ventilators is that they've been taking NSAIDs, uh, ibuprofen, Advil, um, aspirin. And so I have recommended to all of my clients to not uh, utilize those. I said it's okay to use the acetaminophen, but not to use the, the non steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. I can't confirm because they said they don't even know what the mechanism is, but they are seeing the correlation there. And then because um, 
it's attacking the lungs, like, and it's coming from the nasal mucosa and the oral pharynx. Should we be using some sort of antiseptic, like a Listerine or, I know, washing our faces so it doesn't get into your nose and mouth is certainly important um, when we're coming in the house after having gone grocery shopping or gone to work. We're washing our faces, washing our hands. But are there any other specific little tricks that you have up your sleeve? (laughs) I wish. Uh, You know, that's... uh... I saw some posts on social media about gargling with vinegar or something like that. And I was like, well, I don't know. Um, you know, I, this virus is so, so virulent that I think once it, if it gets into your system, it's in your system. I mean, to kill this virus, they're recommending using a mix of, of alcohol, uh, peroxide and bleach and that it will kill the virus on a surface within less than a minute. Now, that's certainly not something you want to put in your body for sure, but um, using that to clean surfaces, even like like we order from Amazon or from uh, Whole Foods and they deliver, and the recommendation is that you wipe everything down with a peroxide-based cleaner of some sort, so peroxide, alcohol, and bleach, wipe everything down, and then go wash your hands really well um, when you empty those groceries, because those are the things we don't think about. I mean, if this virus can sit around for three to eight days, all the people that have had contact with with anything that comes into the house, you've got to consider the, the potentials with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So spraying down all of anything that comes in, whether it's groceries or any, what about Amazon boxes, right? What we're doing is we're putting gloves yeah. on, opening them outside and then bringing everything in because everyone's getting things delivered. Yep. Okay. So exactly. you guys are doing the same thing. All right. So what about... Um, supplements. So are there, obviously we don't know what treats this disease. We don't know what prevents this disease, but there are some common sense things that we can do like lifestyle interventions. We've already talked about that. Then supplements are something we can also consider if you can get them at this point. Do you know what the availability <laughs> is? Or and I think a lot of our audience would probably have some of these things in their cabinet. Yeah. Um, there's, there's actually you know, we have a supplement store and we're staying well stocked and our suppliers are supplying us uh, plenty of it. So I don't think there's a there's a, a deficiency there. Now, where you do kind of notice that, that stock is running low is uh, vitamins, vitamin C, uh, liposomal vitamin C, especially, uh, which is you, you hear all the stuff on social media about high dose vitamin C helping uh, to cure the virus. I don't know if this is true or not, um, but I think taking a higher dose of vitamin C right now is beneficial for the immune system. And vitamin C is hard to find right now. Uh, and I do prefer the liposomal form of it. That and uh, the glutathione, the liposomal glutathione, I think is valuable to to take if you start noticing that your immune system is getting compromised. Those are are two that are hard to get. And that might be partly because part of the mechanism that we're thinking that causes such severe uh, disease is that people are having the effects of a cytokine storm or high oxidative stress. And so both vitamin C and glutathione are very powerful antioxidants. And so having those around may end up being helpful. Now we don't know for sure. Right. And you know, other things like, like a good multivitamin with a form of methylfolate and methyl B12, um, that's always valuable. I also like to, to use multivitamins that have both the beta carotene form and the active form of vitamin A. 
because vitamin A has been shown to to boost the immune system. And we do a lot of genetics on our clients, and we find a lot that are not able to convert beta carotene to vitamin A very well. And it's interesting because you'll see most most like organic or um, uh, more of the uh, natural multivitamins, they'll have almost exclusively vitamin A in the form of beta carotene. And we, we just, we don't like that. We like to have the vitamin A in, in the two forms for the people that, that aren't able to convert that very well. And so we see a lot of people with vitamin A deficiency despite taking a lot of beta carotene. Um, and the multivitamin will supply all the micronutrients that, especially now with the dietary changes, with the food availability, you may need some extra um, multivitamins. And I've also seen that methylcobalamin has been showing some benefit in in this uh, uh, in treating this virus, which is interesting to me. So I've um, been recommending colostrum and zinc and quercetin. Um, those things would come up on my radar. Have you seen anything about that? Yeah, I mean, all of those are uh, vitamins and supplements that, that have shown to benefit the immune system. Uh, another big one would be vitamin D. Right, um, vitamin D, probiotics. Yeah, huge for, for boosting immune system. And, and uh, fish oil, omega-3s. For me right now, it's hard to get fish. And so I really need to supplement the fish oil and adequate amounts of EPA and DHA because, again, you talk about mitigating oxidative responses. Um, you know, that's key in that area. So just a note on the vitamin A, if we are using fat-soluble vitamin A, we started this conversation talking about people making babies, and too much fat-soluble vitamin A can be teratogenic. So keep those doses if you do um, end up using vitamin A around 10,000 IUs, no more than that a day. Yeah, that's that's very much the top end for everybody for me. Um, yeah, that um, it's very easy to get toxic on the uh, fat-soluble form. Right. Um, so then for anyone who is maybe has access to some technologies at home or also, uh, we had shared some emails. Um, you were kind enough to tell me what you're sharing with people in terms of peptides and peptide therapies and some of those that might be effective or, or helpful in prevention. So peptides and technologies. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That's a wide category. Um, so on the on the peptides and in the peptide therapies, this is purely speculation on all of this. You know, we know what the mechanism of action is for these, and the recommendations are really based on looking at this from a complex systems approach and saying, okay, this looks like this this should do a good job with it. So uh, we've been using a lot of thymus and alpha. And thymosin alpha has a, an amazing ability to really boost the, the immune system and the ability of the immune system to recognize cells that are infected and, and go after them. So thymosin alpha is definitely a, a kind of core component of it. And another one that we, we've been seeing really good results with, with viral illness is LL37. And um, this is a works through calcicedin and it is, it's been shown to work in a lot of uh, viral illnesses in general and boost the ability of the body to eliminate the, the cells that are infected with, with viral uh, pathogens. 
Another one is uh, C-Link. And C-Link is an interesting one. There was one article in Russia that was, they studied the, the influenza virus with it. And for some reason, C-Link was able to, to actually lower, take the viral load to zero in two days with uh, influenza in this one study. And this, it's an old study, but it was, it was an interesting finding. So, and you know, when you're talking about stress, C-Link is wonderful for that. It's able to uh, mitigate stress response really well uh, and anxiety. So you've got the nasal spray for that uh, that can work. I have a We're logistical also- question while I have you on okay. the line here. Okay. So C-Link and C-Max are coming in these like 10 mil bo- bo- bottles, spray n- nasal spray bottles, but there's like three mils at the bottom. Are, where are you getting them from? And is, are you getting more than that per vial? Uh, I mean, we, we generally get about 30 sprays per vial. Uh, we get ours from uh, TaylorMade Pharmacy. Okay, that's where I'm getting it too. And it's like, um, it feels like there's nothing in it. It's just like a little bit in the bottom. <laughs> is, that, is that the same thing you're getting? Where you're like, yeah. hey, what's going on with my bottle? It's like an eighth full. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not, it's not, I mean, you know, they can't make those little tiny bottles that uh, people would think they were not getting anything. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, we get about 30 sprays out of a vial. Yeah. Uh, okay. That's about what we're getting to. Um, yeah. but you, you get it and you're kind of like, wait, what did they mess up? I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it, it is something that I questioned the first time I got it, but when I got 30 sprays, I was like, okay. This- All right. That's legit. Okay. So 30 sprays. And then are you recommending that people, um, if they have this or their doctor recommends it for them, are you recommending they start right away or wait until they have symptoms or how would you dose? We have a protocol for that and uh, that we've used with our clients. So we're using the, the thymus and alpha in the, once, once the virus takes hold in the community, which is now, and we have them, we suggest that they, they start the, the thymus in at that point and do it about every three days. And then if they do start to develop symptoms, then they start doing the, um, the thymus and alpha daily. They add the LL37 and the C-Link nasal spray. Now, again, this is all speculation that this is going to help alleviate the, the virus. Uh, we just don't know. I mean, peptides have just not been long enough, but when we look at the mechanisms of what they're doing, it just makes sense that, that it can help to treat this. And then other technologies, what have you got at home? What might other people have access to that they could use without going to a gym? <laughs> We've got some really cool technologies. Um, but for, for our clients, a lot of the technologies that, that we recommend are designed around stress mitigation. You know, again, you reduce stress, you boost the immune system. Um, even, even things like the mindset of being happy uh, boosts the immune system. You know, when this was interesting, I had a conversation on, on a podcast a couple of years ago with uh, Dr. Steve Cole out of UCLA, and he had looked at the, the epigenetic expression of immune genes in people that expressed hedonic happiness versus those that expressed eudaimonic happiness. And what they found is that on psychological testing, the happiness was equal between both groups. But when he looked at the immune system expressions from an epigenetic standpoint, he found that the hedonically happy group had a severely suppressed immune uh, expression. So 
mindset, you know, we we talk about it all the time, but there there is solid science behind why this stuff works. Uh, so, you know, we we work on setting up positive mindsets, positive affirmations. We um, we do things like the uh, Mind Alive uh, David, which is audio visual entrainment to to help calm the nervous system, to help us sleep, to help us meditate. Those, those are great technologies and stuff like the heart math. Um, is the that M-Wave something you Pro. could just download on your phone? Uh, not the, no, the David is a, is an audio visual entrainment technology. So it comes with uh, kind of goggles and, and earphones that you will set different frequencies, different light spectrums that will and train the brain into certain brainwave patterns that, you know, you want to want to have a calming alpha state, or you want to do a pre-sleep state. You can you can actually induce the brain into those those states with that technology. Um, and then you know the heart heart math, the M Wave Pro is wonderful because that is one that you can kind of train your heart rate variability, work on your breath. Uh, because most people just don't know how to breathe very well, and, and it can create stress just from your breath structure without even realizing that you're creating the stress in your system. So those are the kind of technologies that we'd like to we'd like to focus on. And most of my clients have wearable technology, which is interesting because um, you can actually start to see when your system is is getting an infection or getting sick. Because what I've noticed is in uh, other clients notice this too, is that when the system's out of homeostasis, you start noticing increases in heart rate before you express symptoms of anything. Uh, you can see that your heart rate variability will start to drop, and you're just like, I'm not doing anything different. What's happening? Why, why is my heart rate going up and my um, heart rate variability going down? Those are usually early signs that something is off in the system. So what are you most looking forward to during this quarantine? I am sitting back and kind of revamping a lot of aspects of our business. Um, you know, we're taking pretty severe financial hit right now, but the way I look at it is it gives us a chance to regroup and, and create something very positive. Uh, in fact, we've, we've had a course in the works for a stress and immune system uh, mitigation. And we... Perfect timing. I know we had a we had a, a corporate retreat last week. It was all planned, and all this kind of came together. And we were like, "Okay, let's let's go ahead and and push this out." So we're launching a webinar this week to talk about this eight week course that we're putting together. And so, if anybody wants to to sign in and listen to the webinar, we're going to do it. I think it might be tomorrow night, but it's three two one immune. Dot com is the is the URL to get there. So if you want to hear more about what our team is doing for, and this is what we've we've been recommending to our clients and and helping them through this this stressful time, but we're going to have um, a bunch of different experts. We're going to have Do- uh, Dr. Kirk Parsley is going to talk. He's going to do a, a one week session on sleep. Uh, we've got. Megan Foley, who's a uh, health psychologist, who's going to be uh, talking about mindset. We've got uh, Hamilton, my wife, who's going to be talking about stress and HRV and the things that we can do to mitigate that. 
Um, so we've got a we've got a whole lineup of people over the eight week period, and we've got a workbook that people can use with it. Just gonna, it's going to be something that that can get somebody focused on really positive aspects during this this time that we're going to be convalescing. How fantastic! What a great uh, tool for people to have access to stress and immune function. Totally right on point. Um, so what else, what other info can we share with listeners to just empower them to make the most of this time, um, at home to help support their immune systems and to really just not panic, but to like, to reduce that state of stress. Okay. Well, first ignore all fear-based posts on, on social media. That's the first thing. Get that out of your, your, your field that just needs to be removed. Focus on what you can do to support the community through this. And this is this is what I was referring to as eudaimonic happiness. Eudaimonia is really doing things for for the good of everybody and and doing something that that is helpful, not doing something that is all about you. And this is a perfect time to exercise that kind of a, uh, an approach, that mindset of being really community oriented. I mean, I would love to see us gather together as a community like we did around uh, 9-11 and support each other through this and not drop into this, this fear base that, that is so prevalent right now on the social media. Certainly as someone who employs other people, I am acutely aware right now that the decisions I'm making to keep for the viability of, of my clinic, of my businesses, um, is directly infects how, whether or not someone will be able to pay rent or buy groceries. And so, um, kind of taking a step back and saying, okay, where are the people who are maybe in more need than I am and where can I support them? Like if, if, um, some people have, you know, cleaning ladies or yard people that they might not have come, but can you pay them half or can you, can you somehow support people a little bit, even if it's not what you were doing before, because they might, might not have access to, to groceries or, um, or a safe place. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is a true paradigm shift that we're experiencing right now. Uh, we're going to see what people are made of. There's no question about it. Um, we're going to see a shift in just how things are run in this country. I mean, look at the the education system. You know, do we need to have all the schools that we have right now? I mean, everybody's going to to online schooling, and that may shift the the whole way that everything is run in the future. We're seeing major changes, and I, I think it's exciting. Um, you know, I would prefer not to have to go through it in the way that we're doing it. But I think we're going to come through this and be much stronger overall as a society, as a community. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to be there to, to support it. Neurohacker has done a great job with this, too. I mean, they have set up um, a lot of support networks. And they've gathered together the experts in the scientific community. We're having discussions in groups about this and making sure that we're we're weeding out the um, you know the fake news and the and the fear tactics and really getting down to what's real and and how we can help each other. Right, right. Yeah, it's kind of wild that one of the big decision points around closing schools had to do with whether or not kids will will go hungry. Right, that 
part of what schools do is that they offer, provide free lunch and breakfast for a, a large number of kids. And so just thinking about, well, it, it sort of exposes that, right? Like we're supposed to be in this phenomenal economy, yet all the kids are starving if they don't get free lunch at school. And so exposing some of those those elements of society that maybe really could use a, a rethinking and some some true solutions. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I see the people that I follow on, on social media, uh, friends, and, and I, I realize that this is really showing true, true nature of, of individuals as, as this unfolds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, any other things that you want to share? Any other insights that you have about this virus and, and how it will continue to affect us? I'm, I'm sure we could record this again tomorrow and have lots of new information. It's changing so quickly. It really is. And, you know, I think, you know, just don't, don't take everything so seriously. Let's just, you know, do the right thing. Um, really support each other through this and, and come together as a community. That's the, that's the best advice I can give right now. And, and, you know, this is a time you can look at, you know, if you're, if you've got a significant other, this is a time to, to really work on creating a, uh, a much deeper relationship. I mean, it's all this stuff is, is an opportunity. Yeah. And certainly. I think we need to look at it from that regard. Yes. I'm excited to spend more time with my baby. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Um, so Dr. Stickler, Dan, thanks so much for coming and, and making the time. I know that you are incredibly busy right now. So thank you so much for taking the time and then also for contributing the way you are to, uh, our, our collective, um, and uh, knowledge around this and what we can do to help patients. I've certainly reached out to you uh, and asked for help and you have been right there to provide it. So thank you for your help and support of all of our patients. Um, and uh, I'm looking forward to continuing to watch the updates and, and looking for places where we can all be of service in this crazy time. Absolutely. And thank you so much for uh, having me. Of course. Thank you for being with us for this conversation with Dr. Dan Stickler. If you didn't know already, one of the other things we do in the collective is create supplements for better cognition, better aging, and more energy. If you're looking for any or all of that, go to neurohacker.com to learn more. And as our gift to you, we're offering an additional 15% off your first order using the code PODCAST61. If you have questions about this content, please leave them on our site at neurohacker.com podcast, and we'll work to get those answered on a future episode. Make sure to leave us a five-star review and subscribe to our podcast. We'll see you next time.